You're listening to Body of Work, and I'm Hannah Mooney, here to bring you stories of movers and shakers in the sports, fitness, health, and food industries who are known for their bodies. Each episode is a chance to dive into the backgrounds of my guests to discuss how their views on their bodies, athleticism, self-esteem, and more have shaped the person they are today. Many of these stories are those of success, but we don't only focus on the bodies they have. More importantly, we focus on what made them. What was the work it took to get there? And what was the mindset to stay great? Motivation matters most. And so what motivates the people we admire most to stick with the things that make them great? Well, find out here. None of my guests just have a body. They put in the work for all of it. Eric Tozer joins me today to discuss being an endurance athlete and what it has meant for him, especially because he's managed to accomplish so much in his athletic life, even with type 1 diabetes. Now, type 1 diabetes typically comes about in childhood, but Eric got the disease at age 22. From then on, he committed to being an athlete, and that brings us to today, where he'll join us to talk about some of the absolutely unreal things that he's accomplished in the last 12 years. A husband, father, co-founder of the Diabetes Sports Project, and most recently a finisher of the World Marathon Challenge. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you so much for having me, Hannah. I am. I wanted to tee everybody up just to fully understand, first of all, what you accomplished a couple months ago with the World Marathon Challenge is unreal, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. But before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about when you got diagnosed with type 1 and what it's meant for you since that time. Yeah, certainly. So as you, as you said, I was 22 when I was diagnosed. And most people, myself included, um, at the time didn't understand even that there was two types of diabetes. So there's type 2. And when it comes to type 1, most people associated it with only kids. It used to be called juvenile diabetes because um, they thought only kids developed it or you only were diagnosed as a as a young child, um, they've since determined or realized that more than half the population, which is about 1.2, 1.3 million here in the States that have type 1, more than half of that population was diagnosed after the age of 18, which is one of the reasons it's just referred to as, as type 1. For a lot of people, it's genetic, it runs in the family. Um, uh, for me, I you know we don't have any family history of it. It was completely out of the blue, unexpected, um, didn't know what signs even looked like i didn't know that it was that it was coming on um so it was it was more of that autoimmune response where my body essentially got confused and and fought off my pancreas cells uh not to get you know without getting too scientific on here but um but uh, so it kind of turned off my pancreas and you know in that instant had to you know then your entire world changes and and it goes from you know, checking your blood sugar all day, every day, even while you're asleep, um, taking shots of in insulin throughout the day, multiple times a day. Um, it's this crazy, complex, ever-changing algorithm um, to dial on exactly how much medicine, how much insulin we need to inject multiple times a day. And that algorithm is always changing, and it's different for every person. And to be totally frank, if you get it wrong, there's pretty dire circumstances. And, and you know, that was that was one of the things I wanted to do. And after being diagnosed was just show that, look, look, we can have this disease, but essentially live a full thriving life with it. And it's um, one of the reasons I did the, that's pretty much the main reason I, I did the World Marathon Challenge. Nice. So tell me about the Diabetes Sports Project. Yeah, Diabetes Sports Project is something I'm, I couldn't be more proud of. It's I, I say it's a me times a hundred. So um, we've got athletes around the world, everybody living with type one diabetes, and it's these amazing type one ambassadors who, you know, with an entire variety and background of, of athletic accomplishments from, you know, yoga teachers and uh, 10 year old gymnasts to stand up paddle boarders and college athletes and, and, you know, 56 year old, CEOs who happen to do half Ironman triathlons or, um, you know, we've kind of done it all in, in one sense or another in these, but as great as those accomplishments and those experiences are, I have this feeling, this outlook towards it, that if we don't use those 
accomplishments as a tool to provide both inspiration and the education back to the community, then we're kind of missing the big picture. And so it's it's this really humbling um, group to be a part of because it's people who, you know, we're not in it for the money. Nobody nobody makes money from Diabetes Sport Project. We're, the money we raise goes towards creating community events and um, sending our, our, our athletes out into the community to, to do work in the community, whether that's at children's hospitals or diabetes camps or conferences or really anywhere we can have an impact or work with the community, um, we get out there and do it. Awesome. So how many people are involved? Oh my gosh, we started with nine of us and now we're over a hundred around the globe. So it's really, um, it's pretty incredible. And, you know, a total variety of athletes and backgrounds so that, you know, if some, the goal is that every kid, every family, every adult out there who's affected by type one has somebody, if they go to our website, they can find somebody that they find relatable, that they find inspiring. They might not, you know, they might not care that I, that I did the world marathon challenge or that Sebastian climbed Everest or, you know, um, but they might be a basketball player. So we want to have a basketball player and that, you know, kind of have, have that variety of backgrounds. Cause it's not, it's not about being the best or the fastest or the, or the most elite, um, none of which I am, <laughs> but it's, it's really more about, you know, having that relatable story and showing people that, look, I have a job, I have a family, uh, just like the rest of the type one community, the other 99%, I guess. Right. And, and showing that, you know, um, that relatable story that parents can say to their kids or to their loved ones, um, or kids can look up to and, and say, you know, if, if he can do it, then I can do it too. Okay. So when you were a kid, what sports did you play? All of them. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you name it. We were, we were always playing sports, basketball, baseball, tennis, swimming, golf. Um, soccer was, was, um, kind of my, the sport I was most passionate about and, and, and kind of pursued the most and, um, into high school narrowed down my focus into just playing soccer and then went on to college and played and, uh, we got to the NCAA championship. We, we lost, but, but we, we still got there, um, which, which was exciting. And then it was right after, um, graduation, my senior year that, uh, that I was diagnosed. Um, so it went from, you know, kind of being this, you know, NCAA athlete, you know, as fit as I thought I could be and you know, healthy and active and then having this disease and, and, and having it come on, um, it was a bit of a, bit of a whirlwind to say the least, but I didn't, I guess I should take a step back. I didn't in my sports upbringing, athletic upbringing, I, I was never a runner. I didn't do track. I didn't do cross country. I didn't have any running coaching or training unless I was chasing a basketball or a soccer ball, you know? So, um, getting into endurance sports was, I still feel like I'm learning and I still feel like I'm becoming an endurance athlete. Um, as silly as that might, might sound now. <laughs> so when did you start running? Um, so when I was, gosh, I was diagnosed in 2006 and I believe it was 2008 or nine, uh, a boss, my boss at the time was this, you know, we're still close friends and he's still a mentor. He was a 20 year triathlete. Um, and he encouraged me to come along on a lunchtime, lunchtime run with he and a couple guys that he was training for an Ironman. And, you know, I somewhat still have my soccer legs in me and I was, I held my own on the run and did pretty well. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget going back to the office and he's like, so do you know how to swim? And I'm like, I, you know, yeah, I grew up, I grew up swimming and was on a, swim team he's like do you know how to ride a bike I'm like I yeah I can I you know I haven't been on a bike since a huffy probably but um so about a year later he bought me an entry for my first triathlon which was a half Ironman I had no clue what the heck I was doing but um kind of been hooked ever since so that's a great story so it's been it's been about 10 years since you've been in the triathlete space or the endurance athlete space yeah, and I'm I'm if you if you uh, if someone were to look up my records, they'd probably laugh at how few races I've done in those ten years. Um, my training to racing ratio is not <laughs> is probably not what it should be. Uh, I typically race maybe once or twice a year, if that. So I've done um, I've done two full Ironmans, I think, gosh, maybe five or so half Ironmans. Um, 
three marathons, um, maybe f- not that, you know, I can count kind of on two, two hands, the races I've done over, over that, over the last decade. That still sounds like plenty. So like, <laughs> let's not disparage that. No, a hundred percent. I guess, I guess it's, in in the in the endurance world right when when you get around some of these people i mean even at the world marathon challenge right you get these people that have done 150 marathons or 100 marathons or you know i I, some of my triathlete friends they do five races eight ten races a year um so i think in i i'm very conscious of that right i i while three races three marathons is a lot and that's one marathon's a lot right one 5k is a lot so it's it's all relative um but you know it's sort of when you know i ran into somebody last night who runs a 100 mile marathon every eight weeks basically you know and so it's i it's it just it's, it's humbling i try to remember that there's people i don't have to remember hard but there's people out there that are you know much faster and much more accomplished and and it's not it's one about running it's not about me versus the other 35 year olds out there um for some people it is for some people you know for me it's it's more me against myself me against kind of the clock um trying to find my personal best and not really getting caught up in anybody else's race but just sort of going out to achieve my 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 own goal that's a really healthy way to look at it and as you're talking i'm thinking i kind of have like a twofold question first what do you think it takes for the people who are running like 1500 miles a year and you're like, are you crazy? This is nuts. Where do you, where do you think that comes from for them? You know, I, I think it's, it comes down to kind of routine, right? Whatever, whatever your habits are, I mean, habits are pretty powerful, you know, and, and I have sort of a, a, um, addictive personality i guess in a way and and you know have a sort of addiction runs in my family unfortunately and so i've tried to i've tried to use that as a as a tool as a strength you know while oh it's it can certainly and is for a lot of instances um a negative and it's that can be detrimental to people and to their lives i see it as okay well if i'm gonna get addicted to something why not get addicted to a healthy lifestyle? Easier said than done, 100%. I get it. But for me, I, I, you know, I try to, I try to put that characteristic of mine towards a, towards something like exercise, whether it be running or cycling or swimming or lifting weights or yoga or whatever it is. Um, so I think, you know, there's people that are, you know, we've got some folks in DSP that have done, you know, a dozen Boston marathons or, you know, these just countless endurance events every year. And it just, that's just part of their natural day to day. You know, they, they get up, they're out for a run by six, five thirty, whatever it is every morning, um, before the kids wake up or before work or whatnot. And it's just part of their daily routine. I think, um, at the end of the day, a lot of people say, you know, like, well, I want to get into fitness, but I'm, I hate running or I hate doing this or I hate doing that. It's like, yeah, that's fine. You don't have to run. Not everybody needs to run. Most, I know a lot of people that hate it, right? And it's more, I think, about finding something you enjoy. So whether that's CrossFit or Zumba or jump roping or or swimming or whatever exercise it is, I think if you find something you enjoy doing, you're going to continue to do it, continue to do it, and have more success and ultimately have a healthier life because of it. I love that. You're also really good at this because you answered the second question, which is, I was going to say, how do you, how do you stay motivated? Um, but you nailed that one. So we're going to move on. All right. (laughs) So when you, when did you make the commitment to do the world marathon challenge? And we'll get into like what the specifics of that are, because I'm sure everybody at the beginning of this was like, what is that? Just tell me (laughs) Google it. So how did you get into that person? We'll go through it. Yeah, it's it's funny. Um a couple of years ago somebody sent me an article on Mike Wardian, who had ran it was the first time he'd done the World Marathon Challenge. I, I think that this year, um, January twenty nineteen was the I believe it was the fifth year the race had taken place. And Mike did it a few years ago. And somebody sent me the article on it and said, You should do this. And I, you know, we did we 
I kind of in my head, I'm like, this guy, you know, thank you, but you're crazy. Because <laughs> um, it was just so far out of my realm of, of, of normal that, you know, one marathon was a lot. And so fast forward a couple of years, I was trying to find something. I wanted to do something that was big and grand and that, that, that hadn't been done by the type one community. And the frustrating part, but also very inspiring part was that we as a community have done so many amazing things. I mean, we, we've climbed Everest, we've won world championships. We've, you know, myself and nine other guys, we've ran across America in 15 days. Um, you know, Ironman world championships. I mean, we, we've got this, this list of pretty incredible accomplishments. So I really struggled to find something to do is, you know, what am I gonna do? I swim the English channel and bike across France and run back or I don't know, some like crazy triathlon, but, um, and so I, I sort of in a, in a serendipitous way kind of came back to the world marathon challenge. I was like, well, this, this kind of, you know, I have a full-time job. So it was, you know, about nine days off work that I can make that work. And, you know, my work is very generous with giving us, uh, time off to do work out in the community. Um, and time away from family is also something I'm very conscious of. So it wasn't from a time commitment. It wasn't a lot of time for the race itself. It wasn't going to take a whole year. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so it, it kind of just lined up to, to be what, uh, it just kind of fell into my lap in a, in a way. And, and I, I went to, um, the CEO of, uh, now CEO of JDRF, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, um, and said, look, you know, this, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be doing this and I, I'd love to kind of do this together. I think it's an opportunity, you know, a, amazing, um, opportunity for, for us to do something, you know, really big for the community and have, you know, make a big splash. And, um, and it, JDRF is just, they're the leading diabetes organization in the world for a reason. Our lives as people with type one are better because of the work that they do around the world. Um, the advances in, in insulin and diabetes devices and insulin pumps, um, are all because of them. And so, uh, so it was a wonderful and very natural partnership. I speak at their events. My wife worked for the organization for six years. And so it's, it was, it was, it was really nice to have kind of the V diabetes organization stand up and be like, we believe in this, we believe in you and, and we believe in, in doing this together. So that was a, that was a huge boost for me as well, because it, it gave a nice, uh, validation or confirmation that what I was, what I had in mind <laughs> as crazy as it seemed to me, they believed, uh, in me and what we could do together, um, in doing this event. When you made the decision to do it. So, okay, let me start over. So, <clears throat> So their support of you, did it give you accountability? Was that also a piece of it? Yes. Yes. Said you were going to do it and you're like, (laughs) there's a big organization being like, I hope you make it. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating. Yes. Um, A couple of things there. So in, especially in the world of social media now, right, where you can do whatever you want. And, but I feel like, you know, once you announce something or put something out there, whether you're, you know, yelling it from the, the sidewalk down your street or, or blasting it in an email or putting it on social media, once you put it out there to the world, it's your, your sense of, of, of kind of responsibility and, and, and commitment to something really, really becomes true. And, and so, um, when I put it out there to them and they said, yes, it was kind of this, I was never, I, I wasn't, a, I wasn't regretting it. I was excited and only excited. But, but then when we put it out to the world on social media, I think we did it. I think we announced it in early November. Then it was really, then it was real, <laughs> you know, cause then there's, then there's, you know, thousands and, you know, how many, how many thousands of people looking at it. And then it was very much like, okay, now there's really no backing out. Um, but it, but it was also exciting, right? Because then it was seeing the responses from the community throughout the whole process from that moment until today. I mean, you know, it's been has been such a, a wonderful validation that 
it, this was needed and is needed by the community and, and appreciated and respected. And, and, and if the story has an impact on one person, then job, job done. Right. Um, and so, um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was quite that, quite that moment of, of, you know, time to, time to buckle down. Yeah, I feel that. That's how I felt about this podcast. <laughs> oh my God. I'm telling people that this is happening and it hasn't happened yet. And that's not running seven marathons in seven days. <laughs> so we're going to go through the list and this is, this is what I have. So Novo Antarctica is where you started, which is like due South directly from Cape town. It's about a five and a half hour flight from Cape town to Novo. So it, it's almost a straight line down. Okay. So we are not going to do the math on this, but you can imagine that based on Antarctica to Cape Town, South Africa, to Perth, Australia, to Dubai in the UAE, to Madrid, Spain, to Santiago, Chile, and then ending in Miami, Florida. What was that like? Like, how do you go? Most people don't get to go to any of those seven places. So what was that like going from the first one to the end? And you can tell me as much or as little as you want, but what was it like on the starting line of the first race? Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll touch on each one. Cause a lot of people ask what was the hardest one. And I don't, there's no real answer to that. You know, I think they were all so unique and, and amazing and challenging and beautiful in their own way. that It's hard to pick out one. Um, but so before I do that, some quick numbers for the race. So it was, um, uh, so seven full marathons is, is just over 183 miles in once we started the first marathon, we had, tw we had seven days. So that's 168 hours to complete the final marathon in Miami. So that clock started once we started in Antarctica, um, it was over 30,000 miles in in the plane. <laughs> so 30,000 flying miles. And for me, a number that I, that I kind of think a lot about is I, I had a, over 2000 blood sugar readings on my monitor just from the first race to the last. Um, I'm kind of a numbers geek. So <laughs> there was, there was, there was, there's a lot to think about there, but, um, Antarctica was, it was just surreal. I mean, it's, it's like another planet. It's, I'd never been, I'd never been to almost all these places. Um, just solid white and quiet. And, you know, we were at this sort of research center in, in Antarctica and there was these 20 little huts. And aside from that, there's nothing else. There's no sounds, just wind and cold and have to wear goggles or strong sunglasses cause it's so bright. Um, and we basically ran, I think it was, it was about 11 loops of an oversized track that ran kind of this oval around the runway. And so, um, you know, it, 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 it was just, uh, you know, a mix of, of mushy snow and, and, and blue ice and hard packed snow. And, um, you know, I live in San Diego, California, so it's about 70 degrees all day, every day, 365 days a year. So, we don't really get cold weather. <laughs> so that was logistically the hardest one to train for and kind of prepare for. Um, and from a, you know, from a diabetes perspective, I know that after, you know, a lot of trial and error and practice and practice and practice that I need about 50 ish, 55 grams of carbohydrates every hour at my kind of marathon effort to keep my blood sugar steady. And at that rate, I don't need to inject any insulin and I also reduce, I take a second type of insulin every night and I reduce that by a certain percentage in order to kind of account for the exercise. So like I said earlier, it's this crazy, you know, algorithm that, that is my doctor and I have kind of configured specifically for me. So Antarctica was between 10 degrees Fahrenheit and negative 20 with the wind chill. It was pretty chilly and um uh you know getting food in uh, you know i i, I eat about a, a goo gel pack every 45 minutes and those were almost fruit you know frozen because it was just so cold and so 
oh the logistics of that is something you can't, you know, you can't really plan for. And so, um, so I was, you had to kind of shift and take on more calories over, over, over a sports drink. Um, but kind of, you know, making those decisions on the fly and being able to use my diabetes devices that, you know, my Dexcom continuous glucose monitor to keep a close eye on what my blood sugars were doing. So I wasn't dangerously high or dang, dang, dangerously low. Um, which really enabled success for the whole week. But so finished that race and we basically the way each race worked was we'd finish the race and then every, we had eight hours to finish it. And so once that last person finished, we would get everything, go back on the bus, drive back to the airport, check in our bags, get on the plane, fly to the next place, get our bags, go through customs, get on the bus, drive to the next location, race, and then do it all again. So going back from Antarctica, going to Cape Town, South Africa for the second race, it's only a five and a half hour flight. So that was, that was the, that was the total amount of time for our sleep. Some people were able to crash right after a race. I can't sleep right after a race. I'm too kind of wired and, you know, excited about it. So I maybe slept for three hours between those two races because as soon as we landed in Cape Town, it was, like I said, straight to the bus, to the race location, change, and get ready for race number two. Oh, and it God. went from that, you know, freezing temperatures to, um, you know, in the 90s in Cape Town. And we ran at middle of the day, I think it was 12 or 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so we were, just ran in the, of the heat in Cape Town on day two, which is a beautiful country i'd never been there either and it's just this wonderful place and we ran along the ocean just stunning and gorgeous um i thought i had broken uh, a bone in my foot um kind of between those two races so i had a bit of a weird looking hobble uh throughout the cape town race and that was a big one for me to get through just because it was um it was the first time i'd ever done back-to-back -back marathons so that was really number you know number two of seven was a was a big kind of answered the question that yes I can do this um and, and then and then it was on to then we had a 17 hour flight to Australia so that was nice because we you know usually don't love longer flights but um since that was our sleeping time that that was pretty welcomed by by me at least because we get a little bit more time to get caught up on some sleep um so mentally what was going through your head in the middle of the South Africa race, were you like, oh my God, am I going to be able to finish this? Or was there never a question of like, I'm going to be able to finish this and this is how? Yeah. Yeah. Great, great question. There was, I never for a minute from the time I made the decision to do the race to the, the finish line in Miami, I never doubted finishing. I never doubted that I would be able to do the race, that I would be able to complete the race because it was so much bigger than me. It wasn't, I wasn't doing it for myself. I was doing it for the diabetes community and for everybody impacted and for everybody affected. Um, and so because it was bigger than me, I, 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 failing wasn't an option. And it, I, whether I was going to crawl across the line or run across the lines, I, I was just, I, I, I knew that I had this army of millions of people behind me and I was doing it for them. So I really didn't, you know, as, as, cocky as that might sound it wasn't it wasn't arrogant it was just a, a trust in how powerful it can be to do something bigger than ourselves um so then it became just a okay how do i do it <laughs> so, you know so my i i knew kind of what it looked like to train for one marathon so you know i'm asking around i'm googling training plans i'm piecing together all these you know different things and, and kind of created my own jigsaw puzzle of the training plan and you know felt good about it but again, I didn't really know. And I, I looked at the race as, instead of looking at seven marathons, I looked at it as 183 point whatever mile race broken up over seven days. And so what does my pace need to look like, I think, <laughs> for that for that duration? And if I go you know, all out on day one or, or all out on day three, then I might not be able to have a good number four, five, or six, and seven. And so but because I didn't have that experience, that was a big question mark. Even even my wife said, you know, what do you think you're going to do these races in? I really didn't, I truly didn't know. I, I, I knew what I could do one marathon in, but I didn't, I, I was really just going by kind of feel um, how I felt in that moment, taking it kind of step by step, mile by mile. 
not getting not starting to think about Madrid while we're still in Australia and being very present in the moment um, and just as cliche as it is kind of just taking it one step at a time that's nuts that's absolutely crazy <laughs> I think what you just said I think is really interesting where you said you weren't thinking about Madrid in Cape Town and that uh, what it what kept you so focused on the races that you were running because I think a lot of people like you know I know that when I run, like you were saying earlier, there are people that are like, I don't run. I'm 100% one of those people because I would, <laughs> I would always prefer to be on a bike, prefer to be on a bike. I would prefer to weight lift. I would prefer to run very, very quickly for a very, very short amount of time. Um, and so whenever I would run, it would be like, I'm going to run for 20 minutes, which is, you know, four minutes, five times, which means I only have to do this five times, you know? Um, and that kind of math, um, goes on in your head when you're doing something like that, that's so much smaller of a scale than what you were doing. So how did you stay in Cape Town and stay in Perth and in Dubai when you were running those races? Yeah. So a couple of things. I mean, so mental strength can be everything when it comes to any, anything really, whether it's sporting event or, you know, uh, a, a big presentation at work that might take weeks to work on or, or school might, you know, a long school day, whatever it is. There, there's so many, there's so many areas of our lives where mental strength is a key to success. And I think if you, I know if you ask any professional athlete who has everything at their disposal, I, I can almost guarantee that they would, they would say that they focus on the mental side of, of sports. Um, that's why we see, you know, sports psychologists and, and, you know, countless time and effort and energy putting, being put into meditation and, and, and kind of everything beyond the physical side of sports. And so in preparation, I, I did a lot of that. I, I tried to read and listen to everything I could when it came to mental strengthening exercises or, or just mindsets or thought processes or whatnot. And, because I knew that was going to be bigger than more important than the running. The running was obvious. It's 183 miles. I'm going to need to run lots of miles to get prepared for it. But if you're meant, if you're not mentally strong, it's easy to have that doubt creep in, have that, those questions of why am I doing this or can I finish or anything like that? Having that negativity, those negative thoughts creep in, um, can be worse sometimes than a, than a cramp or, you know, a side stitch or potentially broken foot, right? So, um, and in doing so, I found something that, that I, I've shared with the diabetes community and, and I think people, people are really agreeing and resonating with it. We, type one is this very demanding. It's not a sexy disease. People, you know, you look at me and you don't think this kid has a deadly disease that could kill him, right? It is though. And, and if we make, you know, one mistake of a mistake that we have to, of a, of a calculation that we have to make multiple times a day, if I do that wrong one time, I could easily end up in the hospital or, or worse. And I have about 11 years ago, I ended up having a seizure in the middle of the night because of a low blood sugar. And, you know, that's, that's, it was a good learning opportunity. And I, I, I learned from it and tried to take away, you know, how, what do I need to do to not have this happen again? But still, it's 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 a, it's a very demanding disease. It's 24 hours a day. It's it's mentally, physically, emotionally draining on the person with type one, the family members, the parents. I mean, it's it's a it's a brutal disease. And when it comes down to it, we don't have the option to quit. If we quit on diabetes, it'll kill us and we'll die. So that's that's not an option. So that's out the window. So because of that, we are forced almost to go through and 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 go go through this on a daily basis and sort of without realizing it i i i or i sort of uncovered in myself that that without realizing it we and i get mentally stronger just because we're managing this crazy disease and this this demanding thing every day and so put a type 1 in a in a hard situation they're already mentally a bit stronger than they probably even realize because of what we've had to go through. And so I started thinking about that and seeing that as a real tool and kind of in my arsenal and a benefit to those hard miles or those tough miles and whatever the race was, I thought to myself, well, you know, 
I've managed type one. I've had successes. I've had failures, but I've managed it and I'm here today. I've had say that success. So running through this heat or through the long hours of the night or whatever the situation was for the world marathon challenge didn't really, you know, compare. Um, and again, that was, that's not a naive thing. I still had, you know, a hundred whatever miles to get through, but it was, it was that, that mindset of that sort of being mentally tough, um, was something I really tried to take into it. From everything that you just told me, mental toughness obviously goes above and beyond any sort of training, anything physical, any component that you could like test and prove. And it really ultimately comes down to like what you end up telling yourself and what your brain can let you do. How do you think that you get there? You had said that you did mindfulness exercises and that you, you know, did like mental toughness exercises. Well, do you think that there's outside of doing activities to increase like your mental fortitude, how do you create a mindset like that type one diabetic or not? At the end of the day, we all have, we all have obstacles in our lives, right? Whether for me, a big one is type one diabetes. Some people it's depression or anxiety or, or high blood pressure or whatever it is. There's always, I, I would, <laughs> I would imagine that everybody has something in their life that is a challenge that they, some obstacle that they need to overcome. And at the end of the day, I, I think, you know, ticks, tips or tricks or, you know, books or seminars or whatever. At the end of the day, it comes down to your, it comes down to you as a person need to decide what, what kind of a person, what kind of a life, what kind of a path do you want to live? And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that everybody needs to do this or do that or, or live a certain way, but I think it's, if you want to achieve greatness, we're all capable of it. We're all capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit. And it just, I think it's, it's, it's sort of, I don't want to simplify or dumb it down, but it really just comes down to how do you actually want it? And if you do, what are you going to, what are you willing to do to achieve it? It's then, you know, great things in life are, 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 are capable of being achieved but great things also take great effort and, and you know, the, the harder the obstacle, I think the, the grander, the greater, the, the, the result. And, you know, if it was easy to climb Mount Everest, everybody would do it, which might not be a good example, given the recent pictures of everybody being <laughs> climbing up Everest, the traffic jams of people, but you know what I'm saying, right? The, the, there's just, there's, there's a reason that a small percentage of the population do a marathon. It's not easy. And, but it's possible, you know, if, if, if I can run seven in seven days, um, you know, doubling my marathon count in a week, then I hope that that shows people that we're capable. I know it certainly proved to myself that we're capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit. And, you know, as cliche as it might be, just looking in the mirror and saying, do you, do you want this? Do you really want it? Whether it's, you know, for, I do sales in the healthcare space, right? So, I have, a, I have a huge sales quota number and do I really want to hit that number? Yes, I do. And so at the end of the day, what am I going to do to, what am I going to do today and tomorrow and the next day? It's going to set me up for success, whether it be at the end of this month, end of the quarter, end of the year, um, five years from now. And I think the nice thing about athletic events and, and, you know, call say a running event or a triathlon or whatever it is, is that you can sign up for a 5k put it on the calendar, circle that date. And now you've got a reason you've got something to, you know, I've got six months, I've got three months, I've got 30 days, whatever it is to prepare for this event. And it gives you uh, that goal to aim for, which I think can help a lot of people work harder and have more motivation to put in the work to achieve, achieve that result. Was there someone in your life that you feel like helped you get to that place where you could look in the mirror and say, how bad do you really want it? Was it like a coach or someone in your family or a friend? Um, gosh, great question. I haven't, I don't think I've ever been asked that. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm so lucky, right. I've, I've had this tremendous people in my life and family and friends, and I've had some wonderful coaches and yeah, I don't really consider them coaches. I consider them more just 
mentors and, and kind of as much as, you know, Paul was my college soccer coach. He was also just a, a, a guide and a mentor in life. Right. And, and, um, you know, we learn so much about ourselves through sports, um, which is one of the things I love about it. But, um, I have certainly had some wonderful examples of people in my, in my, in my direct family that, you know, didn't necessarily always have a lot, but have created and achieved amazing things, um, just by determination and hard work. I mean, those are, those two words alone will get you pretty far in life. Right. So, um, you know, but it, it's actually interesting too, because some of the people that I would have thought would be, um, kind of my biggest cheerleaders, maybe because they're so close, put, uh, they didn't put it in, but they, they, they were very fearful of me going after this. And so I don't think that they meant it by encouraging. I think they were truly afraid and almost encouraged me to not do the world marathon challenge because they know, they knew, they know how demanding and how um, challenging type one can be. They resort, they kind of, that fear took over for them and they, they almost encouraged me not to do it. Um, and so, you know, they, I think once they realized that I was, I was set on doing it and that I wasn't gonna, um, I wasn't gonna back out that, you know, but, but it was, it was, it was always pretty interesting to me to see kind of how people responded to it. And, you know, as, as you can imagine, it's probably hard for you to see a loved one, um, take on or something that's so risky and potentially, you know, I think it could, I could die in doing it. Um, so, uh, yeah. What do they think about it now? Now that, I mean, now that you made it through, it's always like hindsight's twenty twenty. like I didn't die, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All, all, all those people say like, yeah, we were just trying to encourage you. No. Um, yeah. I, I mean, everybody's, I've obviously been, amazingly supportive and congratulatory and, 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 um, complimentary. And, you know, I mean, even people, you know, I got to, so I actually got honored at Sugar Ray Leonard's annual gala. He's tremendously philanthropic human being and, and does a lot for the diabetes community. And, um, I received this award, which is just incredible in its own right and, and quite the honor, but there were some people there that I've, admired and idolized like magic johnson and i had the opportunity to chat with him for a few minutes and and to hear somebody whether it was magic or ray who have you know those guys both won gold medals at the olympics right like doesn't get much bigger in the grand scheme of sports than a gold medal at the olympic if you ask me and so um for them to to sort of take a moment and say you know this is we we appreciate and respect what you've done from an athletic perspective, that for me was, was, um, was fantastic and, and quite, um, quite special. Um, I think only, only thing that sort of tops that has been, um, my six-year-old daughter, um, about a month after the race finished, we were at a, at with some friends and, um, a group of dads, she ran by this group of dads and, and they stopped her and, they said, "Hey, Harper, pretty pretty cool about what 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 your dad did, right? And running running the seven marathons." And and she stopped and you know smiled and and they said, "What's the coolest part about it?" And I had never asked her that. I didn't know what she was going to say. I didn't, you know, we had never had that com that exact sort of dialogue. So I was really curious to hear what you know my six year old daughter was going to say here. And um, she was five at the time. And and she, she thought about it for a second and, and she says, you know what, the coolest part is the impact that it's had on kids with type one and all the dads just kind of like oh, looked at each other like what, <laughs> you know, and it's just, for me, that was, that was beyond huge. That's better than talking with anybody. I don't care who, because that that mentality of, of doing something for the community, doing something for the, to make other people's lives better, um, was pretty, I mean, that was, that I will truly never forget. Cause it was, uh, that probably meant more to me than anything, but, um, it also shows me that the next generation coming behind us is, uh, is going to be pretty, pretty special. 
gosh, that's beautiful. That's so, you couldn't really, you couldn't hand her that over dinner and say, when somebody asks you what the coolest thing is, this is what you're supposed to say. Like, I should have, I should have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that's crazy. And it just kind of goes to show that that's sports in general. You know, this is why I'm so excited to be able to talk to so many different types of people who've done so many different types of athletic um, events or, you know, accomplish such great feats in sports um, because it really gives like a perspective on doing something, you know, either team-based or for an organization that's larger than you. Um, and I know that you had mentioned that earlier and how critical it is to be doing something that gives you purpose. Um, even if it's the 5k that you talked about where it's 60 days out and then 30 and then a week out, you have something to focus on. Um, and so what would you say to people who are kind of standing in a place where they don't have anything that they're going after right now, but they want to, because what I find in talking to most people is that most people are lying when they say they don't want to accomplish something. They're just scared. Yeah. And so that, that doesn't seem to be an issue for you. So what would you say to people who are kind of stuck and want to move forward um, or they have, you know, something that's holding them back? What would be the one thing you would tell them? First off, you're not not alone. <laughs> you are by no means the only person that is feeling that way, right? I think that if if the world got to see a little bit better insight to people's realities, they would see they wouldn't feel as alone. I think the good and bad of social media is that people I think sometimes see, you know, the the best filtered version of everybody's lives out there. And um, you know, I went for a five mile run yesterday or two two days ago. And I'm still hurting, <laughs> you know, like I haven't ran much. I probably ran five times in the last four months. I just between, between work and family and all the diabetes stuff, I've just been slammed and, and also needed time to recover. But, um, I just, I'm back to almost square one when it comes to fitness and, and it's, it's humbling, but it's also very real. It's very realistic and it's very, um, I think, uh, relatable for a lot of people because in some ways while look i'm not trying to say that i'm starting from the couch and i've never ran before but i'm saying i'm back to where i was you know a year ago in the sense of of my fitness that i had from the world marathon just gone okay so now if i'm going to sign up for a marathon i'm going to be starting almost back to a normal kind of week maybe three or four of a training plan but that's fine why not i mean it doesn't mean that i can't do it so I think for, for people who are, are, are feeling that way, it's you're not alone. I think the harder part is 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 getting a plan set up because that's really where people – I mean I didn't know. I had to Google the heck out of stuff to try to come up with a plan. But but also the fact that you – the fact of the, the alone that you want to do something I think is to be celebrated in its own right because that's, that's not – that's not a small feat in itself, right? You want to get better. You want to accomplish something. That's that's huge in its own right. And I think people don't realize that that first step is 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 a critical one. Um, and then because once you've made that decision, then it's sort of okay. Now now it kind of kind of comes the fun part. What do you want to pick? And and how are you going to train for it? Are you going to get together with friends? Are you going to create a new group of friends because you join a a running group once a week or um, you know, one of the things we do at Diabetes Sports Project is people who have that, if, if that's their fear, if, if, you know, say sports or running or whatever it is with type one is, is sort of a uncomfort, um, uncomfortable situation, or maybe it's a fear thing, then we can help. We help create free plans for people. And we give both the sort of athletic advice and the type one advice, because we want to remove that, that barrier of, not knowing or not knowing how to do it or not knowing the path to take or how to get started. And maybe it's go on a treadmill, have a bottle of a sports drink with sugar in it, have a bottle of water, have a gel, have your blood tester, run for five minutes, walk for five minutes, whatever it is, see what your blood sugar does. Do it again. See what your blood sugar does. And you do that enough times and five minutes becomes 10 minutes and then your blood sugars. And so it's just a matter of getting comfortable with when it comes to type one, but type one or not, it's just a matter of, of getting into it and, and putting together a plan. 
Yeah, from everything that you've talked about from the beginning of our conversation to now, it sounds like the one of the key aspects, especially from when you were diagnosed at 22 to now, is that you were never doing any of this alone. Um, and that, you know, that's not just you, that's, that's so many different people that I've talked to. Um, and so what do you see as, um, what do you see as the most critical component to someone being successful when they want to make a choice like that? Once they've made the decision and then come up with the plan, sticking to it requires what? Wow, that's, uh, it can, you know, that's what's fascinating about people in general, right? What works for one person might not work for another. Some people might be a fear of not completing a race and being feeling embarrassed. Or some people might be, um, you know, if they run or if they train with a group, then, you know, that's, if that's their sense of community, then that's, they, they, they want to, they, they want to be a part of that community. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, you have to, you have to have that reason that why, why am I signing up for this race? Why do I want to run a marathon? Why do I want to do whatever the event is? Um, and if that why is just because I saw somebody else's Instagram post and it looked fun versus because I want to, I want to live a healthier life and I want to maybe, maybe I want to lose weight or maybe I want to get fit for the first time ever, or maybe I want to get back to fitness or maybe, uh, you know, they want to, uh, find a way to reduce their stress. So uh, uh, an evening jog, I know that certainly helps me, <laughs> you know, if, if I'm stressed that I'll go on a run and come back and, you know, be floating on cloud nine. Um, but I, I think that why is a big one because at the end of the day, that's what, when it gets hard, you know, when I was in Chile and I was throwing up cause I couldn't stomach any food and I was still 20 miles to go in that race and then another marathon to go. And it's 2 a.m. and I'm by myself in the dark in this park. Why the hell am I here? And that was an easy one for me to answer. So I was back up and at it, right? But if I didn't have that why, who knows, right? Um, But, you know, I think the groups doing something – I love teams. I love the concept, the idea, the the teamwork I think is so powerful and I I really – appreciate and, and love how much I gained from playing playing soccer. I think it's such a great team sport. And, you know, we learn to win together, you win to lose together, that commitment, that teamwork is, is just so powerful. But when it comes to some uh, a sport like running, I probably do 98, 99% of my runs by myself, just because with, you know, two kids and a, a crazy demanding job, like I just don't have the time to join a running group and it just my schedules kind of all over the place so it's not as regimented where i can say you know i know i'm going to be here on this day at this time um so when i do get to be with a group of people i i i I enjoy it that much more and i can see how a group setting even if it's one other person helps keep you accountable and keeps kind of keeps you coming back and, and and it makes it more fun to be honest yeah i love that i love that so uh, what would you say is the, what's the best word for when you finished your race in Miami, when you crossed the finish line, what's the one word that you say you felt? Oh, goodness gracious. Um, so when we finished, when we got into Miami for race number seven, it was nine o'clock at night or so um for pretty much everybody their families were there and it was just this wonderful scene right we we got off the bus at the right there at south beach and you know my wife was there her grandparents were there um uh, our two girls were there and so um for me it was just you know wonderful moment and 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 you know we had about 20 minutes by the time we got off the bus to when we were going to start the race so it was this whirlwind of you know you wanted to say see everybody and, and spend time but then also had to get ready to go for the race um and I, I just i remember then you know it was 
that race, I did, uh, that was my fastest race. I did three hours and 32 minutes, I think. And I, I was, thankfully, I, I had the my wits about me about halfway through to, to ask if, if my girls wanted to, wanted to walk like cross the line with me and and um so jen my wife helped kind of get them ready for it and they're as ready as they could be on the spur of the moment at you know 2 a.m or something but um so i i had this wonderful moment of where you know last 20 yards of the race i i had them each in one hand and we crossed the line together um so i think if i had to kind of put all of it in the one one word um it would probably be love just because i had this you know my girls and my wife there in my arms and i just you know couldn't have asked for anything more in that in that moment but also what it meant the outpouring of support and love from the community over the week was um truly unexpected and so appreciated because it you know they were they were with me and helped me probably more than they will ever know um and and hopefully they feel my passion and my love for them in return and wanting to do this for them so um i yeah i think i think i think i'd go with love (laughs) i like it I like it. I've got one more question for you. Okay. So do you know how many people have run the world marathon challenge? I, I don't know. Um, I know it's been going about five years this year. There were 40 people and I know the numbers have fluctuated between maybe a dozen people and 40. So maybe, uh, under 200 people ish. Okay. And how many with type one have ever run it? Uh, I, I was the first, I believe, um, you were, uh, yeah, you were, I set you up for that. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) So everyone listening to this, this is, this is a big deal. So this is, this was huge for the type one community. Um, and you know, everything, everything that we've talked about today just kind of goes to show that your ambassadorship for that community is much bigger than being a type one diabetic or an athlete. Um, and that those things that like those marrying up mean a lot for what the future of diabetes and athletics looks like. So what do you see next for you and also for the diabetes community into the future? I think it's the easier answer is the second one, um, or the latter question, because I don't know what I'm going to do next, to be honest. I'm not too worried about it um i'll find something and you know have that be my next goal right now i'm just kind of trying to get back into kind of a routine to be honest and you know get back into running just kind of being a general athlete again and you know taking some some different exercise workouts and whatnot but um what i've loved in the past you know five months or four months i've probably done uh, 10 keynotes and, and, you know, interviews and all kinds of stuff around the country and the world and, um, been out in the community a lot. And it's been really amazing to see the response from kids and families. And, you know, I had a 10 year old, nine year old girl tell me she was going to be the first astronaut with type one. And she's probably right. And I fully am excited to see that happen. Right. And I think, while this, while the World Marathon Challenge set a precedent and sort of changed how the Type One community sees what's possible, with Type One, hopefully it also changes how the world views Type One, and that the simple fact that it's different than Type Two, and that just because we have Type One doesn't mean we can't do this or we can't do that. Um, so if it can change the mindset of, of what people think life with type one can look like, then that's a huge plus. I love that. That's so exciting. It's going to be on my radar from here on out. Where can people find you online? 
No pressure there, Hannah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's so I'm just I'm it's pretty generic. It's just at Eric Tozer, uh, E R I C T O Z E R, um, on Instagram and and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then Diabetes Sports Project, which is on Facebook and Instagram and our website, um, that's a great resource for people whether they're newly diagnosed or. 50 years into it because um, it's a great community and, and, and support and educational community and resource for people uh, with type one as well. Well, thank you so much. It was so good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Anna. So there you have it. Another amazing story from someone committed to what they know will make them the best version of themselves. It's not magic and it's not superhuman power, but it's also not rocket science. To do the work, you have to want to do it. So tell me, what's your mindset? Talk to me about it on Instagram at Body of Work Podcasts, all one word. Till next time, let's get to work.